0: episode of edtech hour is brought to you by the educational psychology technology program at the chicago school of professional psychology the chicago school's mission is integrating the values of education innovation service and community the chicago school provides students innovative and practitioner-based learning experiences in which they're able to positively impact others around the world and address issues faced by underserved populations through collaboration of university administration faculty and students the EdTech Hour was created in order to pursue our vision of innovation and global outreach. This monthly podcast series will include thought leaders from around the world who will discuss relevant issues centered not only on technology, but also the impact of technology on humanity. Speakers will provide listeners with stories of how they have impacted learners, employees and communities through the pursuit of understanding how individuals learn and use technology to improve performance. This show provides a global medium to share and promote various issues and developments and learning and how professionals are utilizing technology by listening to the show i hope that you're able to develop a unique insight into how you can incorporate similar topics and trends into your own professional settings i look forward to learning more about our topic with you throughout this episode
1: all right so this is sonamar viegas with the chicago school of professional psychology um, I am pleased to welcome Ms. Joya Hayes to our EdTech session. Um, and Ms. Joya Hayes, will you please share, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about um, your current role, your background, and what experiences brought you to your current position?
2: Well, my name again is Joya Hayes. I am the director of human resources and the director of civil service for the city of Austin, Texas. We are the 11th largest city in the country um, and the third largest city, fourth largest city in Texas. And so, I am really proud to serve in this role. We've got about um, anywhere from 15 to 19 thousand employees, and that number vary. Uh, the, the 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 variation in numbers come from the fact that we hire a lot of temporary employees to support our summer programs and our youth programs. And so um, in the role of human resources, I'm responsible for the day-to-day execution of our compensation, benefits, discipline um, process, and our risk management. Um, as the director of civil service, which is very unique to public sector, that responsibility is to ensure the appropriate hiring and managing of discipline for our police, fire, and EMS, which are our union um, sworn organizations So that is a part of my uh, full scope here. I've been working in human resources for over 20 years. I began my career as the director of student activities at a local university, and and that really transitioned me into doing a lot of training and development, which is at my core of experience. Um, I transitioned to work for the state of Texas in um, training and development. In doing so, I was able to draft, create, um, and, and train employees in progressive Discipline, which transitioned me uh, into the discipline area more. Um, I served uh, for over 10 years in the space of training and development before moving over to be an investigator, where we do investigations for discrimination, retaliation, a hostile work environment. And in that role, I worked and ultimately worked my way up to this position as the director uh, of human resources. And so I'm very proud to be in this space. I've been director not only here in the city of Austin, I've also served as director of human resources for the city of Richmond, Virginia and chief of staff in Richmond, Virginia. So I'm, I'm really excited. I have a career public service. I have, I have a career that has been dedicated to that. Um, in college, I was an activist. I was one of the people that were protesting and fighting and marching. And so what a transition to go from those who challenge our rules, our processes, our laws to ones that that try to adhere to those rules and processes and laws as we go about creating and sustaining quality and effective workforce. Um, and so I'm really excited to do this work, um, even in times such as these. Um, there is great opportunity because we are very people-centric um, in a space of equity and inclusion. And so really proud to work for the city and really proud of all of the accomplishments our city has as we attempt to stay on the cutting edge of progressive work policies their procedures
1: yes i do know just being close to austin texas i do know that that is absolutely true Um, i love your background i especially love the connection that you made between you know your college experiences and then you know where you are today Um, what what do you think contributed to that you know to that shift in um from what you were doing in college to what you're doing now what what experiences drew you to that Well, honestly, um,
2: as a undergraduate, my degree was in communications. I wanted to be a reporter. Um, and And that's all a part of the training, the development, the speaking, the reporting. And so in that space, you know, we were trained to investigate and to look for the rules, look for the policies, look beyond the rules many times to identify the story. And so it really isn't that big of a stretch. And I will tell you, when I came to college, I didn't know I was an advocate. I knew I had principles. I knew I had ideals that I lived by. But only when I came to Austin during what was the hot, wet versus the University of Texas period, where affirmative action was at the forefront of what we were dealing with as college students. Um, and I attended a historically black college and university here in Austin, Houston, Tilton University. But we share this space with so many other extraordinary universities, to include the University of Texas at Austin. And during that period, um, there was some inequities in how communities of color were being treated in Austin, particularly communities of color that were in university. and colleges in the area. Uh, We were faced with many of some of the challenges you see today relative to police and other concerns. And so in that space of inequity, I found a voice and I found myself being proud to speak on behalf of a community of color. And in doing so, it pushed me to engage public officials to talk about what our concerns were. I recognized the art of collaboration. I recognized the art of taking policies and exploring ways that, and and pushing elected officials to see things differently. So as as, as as broad as it may sound, I actually feel like there's a very strong connection between community advocacy and human resources because it really yeah. pushes me to continue to be very employee-centric
1: in our approach. Yes, I can see that. Yes, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. That's such an interesting uh, history you have. Um, so now that we talk about, you know, now with what's going on with COVID-19, um, how has that shifted, um, uh, within the city of Austin, has there been a big shift to remote work and, you know, if so, or if not, what have been the biggest challenges that you guys have faced in shifting or choosing not to shift to remote work? Well, as I stated earlier, Austin
2: is really cutting-edge city that really branches out to new new initiatives that mirror many things we often see in traditional spaces of private sector. So prior to the COVID um, spread, we already had a pre- pretty robust telecommuting initiative that really encouraged employees to create flexible schedules. Uh, we had competitive spaces to encourage more of our departments to allow employees to work from home. Um, we give free bus passes to all of our employees who ask for them. Uh, we give incentives to those employees who have a, who do sh- uh, shared ride programs. And so we were already very much dedicated to minimizing the carbon footprint and encouraging our employees to work from home. And so I'm really excited to say because we had already begun those discussions, we had already allowed departments to create telecommuting policies. We were already in a space to evaluate the effectiveness of moving and transitioning our employees home but let me tell you we actually transitioned about six thousand additional employees home in a two-week period Wow most of which happened in one week and so while we were already telecommute friendly the shift in the transition home was massive um, and we broke our population down into three categories those who already had the equipment and the access to uh, work information from home those who already had some telecommuting opportunity, and we sent them home immediately because their transition was, was seamless. Our second group of people, we did an evaluation citywide of those who had the capacity to work from home, but who had not traditionally done so. And so we were able to do some assessments in partnership with our computer technology department to figure out what resources we already had available to assist those employees in transitioning home. As we looked at our level two employees, we also looked at which ones had internet at home and Wi-Fi, which ones had computers that they could already use at home that they didn't mind using if we ran out of the uh, of the equipment and technology to to support that. And then our final stage with those employees, our administrative staff, our face-to-face customer service staff, staff that traditionally do not have positions that have been available for home. And we tried to come up with innovative ways to figure out how they could continue to do their work from home. And for those small uh, percentages of employees who could not do that, we created some space by increasing our online technology for training and development. Um, We we, uh, got a new uh, contract with a couple of companies so that we can allow those employees a unique opportunity to go home and to be trained um, and to take opportunities to just focus on training. And so we had a four week plan where employees could do that. So it was a a very uh, strategic process in sending those employees home. And our biggest challenges came with access to technology, access to laptops, access to Wi-Fi. It was surprising to see that many employees because um, they did not have, you know, children at home or they did not really use a lot of computers at home, that a lot of our employees didn't have Wi-Fi at home. They didn't feel like that that was a necessary asset. And so it really opened our eyes to the capacity of ensuring we had hotspots and other things so that more employees had the resources and the equipment to, uh, to work from home. And so I think technology was our um, our biggest challenge. And I will tell you, um, fear was an, another major piece. We have a lot of employees who um, utilized our EAP because they just did not realize um, the level of emotional strain that the virus and the potential to getting the virus had on them um, and trying to work from home, make that change as immediate as it was and address their personal fears of the virus was something that was a challenge for us that we really had to put some energy and, and some work around. And finally, the biggest concern that I think we have had with this entire process is those employees who are trying to balance educating their children while working for the city from home. There's been That has been our number one challenge in terms of helping employees make that transition and supporting them and their home duties as they continue to work for the city.
1: Right. I can definitely see. And I think, you know, not only was your effort strategic, it was very supportive. So at the same time, Really trying to support your employees at so many angles, um, and I like the way that you mentioned the the technology and the internet piece because we do assume everybody has internet at home. But nowadays, everybody has a cell phone. You really don't need an internet too you know internet provider too much, um, especially as you said, if you don't have young children at home who are constantly watching Netflix and YouTube and doing all that work. So. Very interesting um, things that you identified. Um, So when you think about, uh, you guys were really, really well prepared. um, And I found that the shift for my children, just from a personal experience, uh, from being at school to schooling at home was very seamless because they already had practices in place uh, for using technology, they knew um, how to log in, they, they had, this was already a regular practice. So when they transitioned home, it wasn't too bad. And it sounds like for most of your employees, that was true. So when we think about companies that weren't as progressive as what you experienced in your role, I mean, what could, what could they do in the future? Or what could they have done uh, to better prepare for something like this? Or, or is it even possible?
2: Well, one of the benefits that we have in public sector um, is that most of us are FEMA certified, and so uh, we, we said it may have been just a, you know an omen, but right before FEMA, five weeks before FEMA hit all of us went to FEMA training in north I'm um, in um in Virginia to prepare for this and they really walked us through the things that we needed to to get in place before major tragedy you know or major crisis hit and so that exercise really assisted us in in creating a mindset they even created um, a space where we were, you know, going through those uh, activities together in like a real world setting. And so they, I panicked then. And, you know, and so I would say this to to any organization, there are so many professional organizations that help train staff to address issues of crisis, to include bad weather, uh, terrorism, and things like a pandemic. And as you know, last year, Austin um, held, had to deal with the terroristic issue of the bombing, the mail bombing. And so we recognized after that activity the need to be better prepared for any level of crisis, which predicated our ability to get training. So my recommendation is preparation, preparation. And I'll tell you, preparation is much easier when you're sitting around a board table and you're talking about, well, what happens? What we sh- What should we do? But when they pitch you in simulations and they say, hey, run this city with no electricity, run this city if you can't leave your house, run this city if there's a pandemic, then it really puts you in the mindset of what changes do I need to make in my infrastructure so that I can be better prepared for whatever challenges come. And so that certainly would be my mantra, which is you know, preparation for all crisis so that when it comes, you have prepared yourself for such a time.
1: Wow. That, that's pretty, that kind of gave me a little, some goosebumps. So, so just recently you went to training with FEMA to prepare. Oh yeah. And
2: we said like, what happened? Was that like a bad luck charm? Like we go and and we go through it and literally five weeks later, we're in the middle of a pandemic and so, very new, but those simulations, I don't know that I would, that we would have been as successful had we just talked about, Hey, what do you think we should do in crisis preparation and crisis planning? but that simulation scared us. I mean, we were in a real, what seemed to be a real life crisis and we had to make some critical decisions and those critical decisions helped us come back and make change. Wow, that, that's amazing.
1: That, that is an awesome, awesome story. Um, so in thinking about, um, and I know that the culture, we, we keep talking about the progressive culture of Austin, which is, is amazing. I love that they are progressing and, and forward thinking So how does that type of culture, um, you know, with primarily remote workers um, differ, in your opinion, from a traditional work setting? What, What has to feel and be different for success? Um, I think success
2: is going to come when you are prepared and preparation is also in policy. And so employees do well when they know what is expected of them. And I think one of the biggest challenges to pandemics or transitions is the in, the, the inability for employees to know what to expect and that lack of understanding of what they, to expect and the change management process leads okay. to fear and then ultimately chaos and, and, and a lack of control. And so I think as organizations go through this process in their new employee orientation, creating policies that say, please let's review this so that we can talk about here is how we handle things. When weather is bad, please know we will notify you via email 24 hours before expected bad weather. We will send you a message to your work phone letting you know whether or not you need to come in. We will make all announcements by 7 a.m. The more you can set parameters around what people can expect and the unexpected, I think the better, the better you are prepared to transition workforce in, in, in times of, of, of panic and need. Um, so I definitely think you wanna create policies and you wanna review them to say here in general is what you can expect during these periods. Um, we are now, um, most of our staff that are not field workers are working from home and we're currently creating what we call a reintegration plan. I think we're months away from it, but we're already meeting daily to talk about what things need to change in the workplace. You know, what spaces need plexiglass, what spaces, you know, how quickly can we order uh, whites and disinfectants and how, qu- how consistently can we get those material in, we're, we're creating building protocols employee uh, guidelines and sanitation and protocols for our employees. And so structure, policy, and communication are going to be critical. And pro, I would say proactive structure policy and proactive communication are critical areas that need to be set up. But ultimately, you want to have the technology infrastructure to support it you know our first two weeks at home, um, our bandwidth for our, our our micro our email was was really tested. you know we had a lot of employees using our, uh, our our conference call lines to the point where we almost blew the conference call lines up. And so now all of us are encouraged to use Microsoft teams. everybody has it downloaded. and so we have to create alternative spaces to get right. work
1: done right. So, and and it sounds like from what I'm hearing, it it really doesn't matter whether you're remote, not remote. What really matters is having consistent procedures, policies, and constantly preparing and being proactive and looking ahead versus just reacting to the now and the today. Excellent summary. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, So, there are some employees I think that you know and, and you may have experienced, or at least I can say I know, don't thrive very much in the remote setting. They I've experienced it uh, just with friends and talking to my kids' teachers and they're like, I'm just not cut out for this. I can't do this. I want to get back to the office and the work. So in a situation like this where we don't know when things are going to reopen and we don't know what's going to happen three months from now, six months from now, Um, Some predictions are we may be, you know, again in this situation in the winter. So how do do we work with these employees um, to support them and stretch them and help them thrive in a remote setting um, such as what we are in today?
2: So gr- excellent question, I, and I love I love it. I, I think for us, it's a little unique because we are public sector, and so even in this space of pandemic, there are expectations for the public. We're still picking up trash. Uh, we still have to keep the lights on, the water still has to run. And so we do have a large number of employees. Our public health department is also at the, uh, at the forefront in addressing COVID with you know, ensuring that the public and the public's rules and, re- and responsibilities are set in a way to protect our citizens. So for us, when we have found employees who have not thrived well in a home environment, we have options. We desperately need contact tracers in our public health department to help notify, you know, families and communities of those who've been diagnosed. And so, because we have such an enormous need for volunteers in our emergency spaces, we have been told those employees, if this is not a space where you can thrive, we desperately need your, your subject matter expertise in, in another space. So we've had opportunities for reassignment. And I will tell you, we've had at least three to 400 employees that said, I'd rather go, and I don't know if you know, but Austin is purchasing hotels. And so we've got hotels that we that we're renting and purchasing for those who are first responders, who may be um, impacted by the, the COVID and don't want to go home. We've got it for employees who have who have been uh, who contracted the virus in another hotel to, to ensure that they have the ability to heal without going back into this into the public. And so because we have such a diversity of functions, um, we've got at least three to four hundred employees who volunteer to support that outside of their normal assignment because they just cannot, for whatever reason, um, thrive in a teleworking environment. And so um, those unique opportunities have helped us in those spaces. But we've also tried to be very, I I use this term quite a bit, employee-centric. Um, we've asked our HR team across the city to go and identify what are the common areas of concern for our employees so that we can address it, so we can increase the amount of opportunity to use our EAP system, and so we can provide more training on how to lead and manage in a crisis. And we've talked employees through that we're not it's not about how many hours you're working. It's not about clocking in and clocking out. It's about a work product, and that has helped so many of our employees. The flexibility of saying, look, if you're teaching, you know, for three hours a day, get up earlier, do your work, wait until you do it at night. We've instructed our managers. We're not looking for a clock in, clock out culture. We're looking for a product. Uh, productivity culture, where we're looking at what they're able to create, not when they did their creation. And so changing that mindset about how we manage people on a day-to-day basis and manage expectations has really helped us create a better culture where employees who are not used to being able to get up, work at eight, and finish at five have figured out new ways to maintain productivity in a very uncomfortable and unique environment.
1: Right. Yeah. So, and I like that you're using kind of a strengths-based approach at um, identifying, you know, okay, so this doesn't work. That's fine. What will work for you? Like you can still contribute uh, overall. So that, that's wonderful. And that's kind of what I experienced working in the virtual school setting. You know, there are some set times where teachers have to meet with students and we have class but I'm more concerned with, with are the tasks at the end of the week, everything that we're expecting you to do is done. I don't really care if you do it at four in the morning, it, as long as it's done. Um, so I love that. And I think that that creates a more trusting uh, work environment. It helps the employees feel like you really care about them because you are being flexible and really thinking about their well-being as well. So that I think that's a wonderful um, suggestion. Uh, Yep. And let's see. One thing that I struggle with, uh, and I'm not sure, are you, are you home-based right now? No, I'm actually in my office today. You're at the office. Okay. So one thing um, that I always struggle with, and I know that a lot of the people on my team struggle with is um, work-life balance. I feel like I am always at my computer um, and it, it, it's, you know, if I walk past it, I feel like it calls my name and I have to come and check my email or check, um, you know, send an email. Cause I remembered something it's, it's hard to make that division sometimes. And when I worked in a school setting, it was eight to four. And at four, I was home and here I feel like I'm always connected. And so I'm always, um, trying to tell my employees to have, a healthy work-life balance, but I know it's a challenge when you work from home. So, what you know, what have you um, and your your the HR department of Austin and, and you in particular, what have you um, shared with employees or, or about work-life balance, or or has that come up yet as an issue for you guys? It did not come up as an issue, but again, in our
2: proactive approach, what we were finding was that we were getting more concerns that just dealt with fear and frustration in the change in the environment. And so our city manager sent out an email that HR created for him early on in the process to talk about staying calm, figuring out ways to relax, taking breaks, and providing links to resources to help with the mental breaks needed to survive in the environment. And I think having that proactive communication from the top of our organization really helped our employees recognize that our number one priority was them, not the work, not the crisis, not our response to the crisis, but our employees. Um, in addition to that, um, we opened up daycares for all of our frontline employees. We were one of the first cities, I know many people are doing it now, but we were the first, one of the first, the first city in Texas to open up Daycares for free for our employees um, who were having to come in either to the office or to the field, um, and providing um, additional support in those daycares with kids with cognitive issues. We we have specialists at our daycares, and so to think those kind of things through, I think employees felt were very very much felt valued in that process. Another thing that I was really excited about is that we have a uh, a very world-renowned wellness program here. We, um, we've received several awards for our wellness program, and we have classes that we offer over uh, 70 classes um, a week, where we have Zumba. Uh, uh, boating, tap dance, all types of class, and we transition those online. And so employees get emails from our wellness team if they, you know, if they want to participate. We've also transitioned some of our classes to YouTube. And so we send out information to employees in our in our um, um, magazine distribution to talk about, hey, you need a break. The whole family can stop and do your tap dance class today. Um, and we still incentivize employees if they tell us that they're still participating in our wellness and, and, and interactive activities. We still give them administrative leave that they can use to take time off. Um, so we try to That's simulate amazing. those kind of opportunities even
1: in a home environment. Yeah, so I can definitely see where uh, it, it, you know, when you think about work-life balance and employee well-being and, and, and just keeping them engaged and productive it's already been a practice for you. So it was a, not, I don't want to say it's a simple transition, but it really wasn't such a hard, um, drastic change for you guys. It was, it was simply thinking of how do I integrate the technology piece and what we are already doing for our employees, which is amazing. So one question that I had, you know, regarding engagement and productivity, you know, besides the well-being and the programs that you have, um, for your employees. You mentioned that you use Microsoft Teams. What other um, systems do you use to keep uh, employees engaged, productive, on task with projects and tasks? Have you guys incorporated any additional uh, programming to help keep track uh, and manage the different pieces um, that you have to encounter, that you encounter every day?
2: So, yes, we also, well, uh, we're using WebEx for our council meetings. And so citizens now can sign up electronically. They don't have to come to City Hall um, and they're able to stay home and participate in citizens' communications and sign up for and against council items. Our council members are now all doing our weekly council meetings remotely. Um, So we use WebEx for that. Uh, We're also using Zoom in some spaces where where that's necessary. And even within those, we're using polling techniques and other um, survey tools to assess how employees are feeling about activities and projects um, so that we stay on top of it. Uh, We also reached out to a consulting company that's helping us and that helped us create a survey Um, to to send out to all employees as we uh, incorporate their feedback into our reintegration uh, plan. And so we've kind of used different technology and different consultants technology to really help us do that. Um, We're also looking at two new technologies. I I can't speak as well to those uh, because I'm not that area. Of ex- that's not my area of expertise, but we're looking at uh, scanning systems um, in our reintegration plan. We will most likely have the sc- uh, scan temperature reads um, at all entryways to ensure that no one's coming into our buildings that, that have fever. But in that space, we're also looking at some new technology where the system will read people's bodies to determine those who um, have a fever so that we can control that without having to use the scans. Wow. We're also looking at some um, technology for scheduling meetings. So, in many of our spaces, where employees have, where citizens come in to make appointments, um, that in, in those spaces, with we would have new technology to create those appointments, to manage the disting and how long between those those sessions are planned. So, we are looking at that technology as well.
1: Wow, that is amazing uh, to think about. I had not even considered that those technologies, as far as the the scanning of the temperature, even exists. So it's just so amazing to hear how far along we've come and how the technology can really facilitate um, our, you know, transitioning back into society at some point. So I love hearing uh, how you guys are leveraging that. And again, just being so proactive and looking ahead um, in, in doing what's best for your city. That's truly amazing. So when you think, like, when I think about all of the, the new things and, and future plans that you have, um, and I mean, you know, the city of Austin collectively, you know, what, um, it sounds like we have some pretty, um, uh, talented and forward-thinking individuals, um, that that work with the city of, of austin your colleagues yourself what traits um, uh, you know as as hr or as we're looking for employees in the future to have this kind of innovative mindset what traits could we be looking for in um, you young professionals that are up and coming and and want to work for our companies i mean a, a city of Boston, right, an organization, um, and how can we at universities better prepare uh, such innovative and forward-thinking mentality in, in new employees, in, in, in new graduates, I should say? I think for a public
2: sector, we always look for people who have a sense of community. It is very difficult to do public sector work uh, with a private sector mindset. It's not about Uh, profit sharing is not about making a profit. It's not about the same incentives. And so those who are successful in public sector environments are those who have a connectivity and a sensitivity and an open mind to community uh, because community comes with a lot of opinions, a lot of diversities of thought, a lot of different levels of emotion. And if you're not truly committed to serving the community jobs in public sector can become very overwhelming and stressful because it constantly places you in a place to be open to the perspective of the citizenship and so i think for us we're looking looking for people who are very dedicated to that structure of community um, who are open to listening engaging austin has over 67 different boards and commissions that are community appointments that allow us to go to the community and say here's how we do this. What do you want from us? How can we be better? Where are their gaps? And so uh, we're also looking for people who have a perspective of being a constant learner. Uh, so often in professionals, we, we 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 come across people who have become the expert and in, in, and in their expert space, they're closed to innovative thought. They're closed to hearing um, perspectives from others. They're closed to trying out uh, new things in different ways. And so Um, We are certainly looking for people who have the capacity to think outside of the box and are never in a space where they're they're not willing to continue to listen and grow. Um, I I think so much uh, in the past, um, obtaining employment has been about selling yourself, um, selling your competencies, selling why you're the best. And that kind of narcissistic process sometimes leads people um, to going so far down the line of this is why I'm so good, that they don't always come to the table with an open acknowledgement of where they could be better. So a self-reflecting person is also important. Someone who can constantly sit back and say, how can I be better? To be very articulate about the narrative of, here's my journey, here are the hard lessons that I've learned, and these are the things that have led me to this level of space. I, I think that is also critical when we look for new employees that are coming to our work environment. And I'll tell you that as we look at this this telework space, proactiveness is critical. You're no longer just able to come into your, you know, build relationships with your supervisors or your management or your team and engage just in discussion. But you've got to be proactive in creating those spaces online. Um, As I share, we use Microsoft Teams and, every day i'll just call somebody on the line and just to say hey how's it going um my team has this activity where we, we at the beginning of our meeting we say show your kids and so you know uh-huh. everybody's had a horror story from the day of what kid didn't do what and so we bring all the kids to get all excited And they get to say hello to each other while we're working and they get to see mommy's co-workers before they go back and do what they were doing. And it brings the stress down. So being open and creating online communities is critical. And we need people who are willing to be just as social through technology as they would be face to face and making that paradigm shift. Um, is also critical. And then, don't wait for somebody to ask you. In this proactive environment, if you see a problem, you may have an hour or two before you'll connect to someone face to face. Yes. Proactively start doing the work. Don't be that employee that waits for direction. Be proactive, and you stand out in this space.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And it, I think because I'm in public service and education, I, you know, when I'm interviewing employees, uh, that those are all the things that I look for. Um, and we do uh, in hiring, my preference is always through video chat, just like this in Zoom, uh, because I want to see and interact uh, just like in person uh, and be able to see those. It, it's just, you can really see those traits in, in individuals as you're interviewing, and you can see if they're community focused and just all those things you said. Be, take initiative, be proactive. Um, so I, I share the same sentiments um, with you about the perfect uh, public service employee, whether it's online or in person, uh, super important. So how um, with these young employees that are coming in, and I don't know if, if you guys have had to hire too many or maybe maybe some that are only in their first few years of being in the public sector. Um, and. I feel very strongly about succession planning and developing leaders from within. Um, how are you guys uh, taking that approach with employees, especially with the amount of remote work we're doing now? Uh, has anything shifted in that area as far as employee and leadership development?
2: Uh, absolutely. So we have four levels of uh, of training for employees so that we can meet all levels of of desire for transition. Uh, We've got a LEAPS program. I'm really proud of the LEAPS program because it is a leadership for um, our entry-level and blue-collar spaces, but it is run by a board of employees who have gone through the program. And I can't tell you how rewarding it is to see employees who have not had the professional opportunity to be leaders, supervisors, and managers yet to get into the program, to learn the fundamentals of leadership and graduate from that program and take their place on a board to create a sustained curriculum for new leaders moving forward. Um, And so that program has been incredibly um, rewarding for our employees. We also have a supervisory academy, a manager academy and an executive academy. Oh, wow. um, and 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 our and our class is just called lifelong learners because we recognize everybody doesn't want to be in charge, everybody doesn't want to be <laughs> management, and so they are extraordinary individual contributors. And so our lifelong learning series is a, a is a collection of curriculum that allows people to grow in advance, even if they're not interested in management level work. Um, and we've transitioned all of these all of these classes and the curriculum within these programs. Uh, online. Uh, And and in our executive academy, um, they each have a project. And um, because of COVID, many of them are working on some of the health processes and and programs and helping us create solutions to address healthcare disparities as it relates to COVID. And so these employees are getting, even in the space of of working from home, extraordinary opportunities um, to help the city with a critical project they're all um, put with mentors from an executive level space, and in each of the four programs that I share with you, there's a graduation, and we're looking now to create an online graduation where our city manager and our mayor join our calls to congratulate our our um, our graduates. We're sending them their certificates home, and each of them, we're even creating a back uh, a step and repeat for behind them, and so they'll be able to just tape that step and repeat on a wall in their house and. Stand in front of it with their certificates, and everybody's graduating with a with a wonderful picture we can put online to congratulate our graduates. So we're really working hard again to try to create employee-centric spaces where our employees can continue to grow through programs we've established, even when they're working from home.
1: Yeah, you've had some uh, some very seamless transitions from, uh, you know, a very I think what we're all kind of used to is is you know face to face activities to virtual um, activities and, and kind of kept the same level of uh, comfort for the employees. They, they know that they have all the resources that they had before. Um, and then I, I also love the fact that you've taken the opportunity through the training programs and are working to, um, it just kind of created a project based learning experience for them that they are, you know, able to help with, with a real life issue and learn in the process. Um, and that is something that, that we are really trying to push in the K-12 education sector, uh, because we recognize that that's the way that people learn best. So kudos to you guys for being ahead of the game on that as well. Um, so uh, as we uh, conclude our interview and I appreciate the time you took to meet with me, I kind of would like to get your perspective on, you know, as we think about the long term and we think about you know COVID-19 and the unknowns, um, you know what what are some opportunities that you would share? And I think you've shared a lot of them, so maybe just summarize uh, in your belief, What are the opportunities for organizations, other cities uh, to start shifting and preparing for a more remote workforce in the future, or even a hybrid or a flexible working workforce in the future? What would be your biggest um, suggestions for uh, cities, organizations, or really anybody?
2: I think a deep analysis as to the core scope and responsibility of their job functions and how many of those can be enhanced and or completed from a from a, a, a remote location, I think the hardest challenge for most organizations is figuring out what everybody does and can they do that effectively from home and if they right. can what resources do they need if we had just done that analysis and you know we could have been so much more prepared for the transition but understanding you know something as small as we had we had not thought through, Electronic signatures. Our technology team told us years ago we needed to move to it. Nobody really saw the the, the value add in it, but just, you know, and it took us three more months to get it, but now we have it. And so some of our people, 85% of their job is processing paperwork and signing off on what they've processed. And so if we do an analysis of what we do as an organization and where are our touch points and understanding how some of those spaces can be done from home, I think you will see much more productivity and a much more seamless process in transitioning your workforce to a telecommuting process.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. You know, the school that I, was, I just transitioned to you know, we're 100 percent online. We have no kids coming to our school, but we were still using fax machines. We're still filing papers and filing cabinets. I, and I'm like, no, we're an online school. We need to get everything virtual now. I mean, there's so many uh, resources and so much growth in technology that we can do this. Um, and this was right around the time, you know, I think a couple weeks later, COVID had uh, started coming out and we had to close the office and they're like, oh my goodness, thank goodness you talked us into the electronic fax. You know, that would have been crazy. So I think you're right. And I think embracing the technology is going to be um, uh, the way to go. And I think more companies are going to start looking at that. And, and I think that you are the perfect example, the city of Austin, uh, for progressive thinking, and and definitely somebody to look for, for advice and for best practices. Um, So thank you so much uh, for taking this time and sharing what your wonderful city and and yourself have put forward for your community. And the final question is, if we have any listeners that want to contact you just to, to find out more about how you've done what you've done, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Um, we have
2: a two one one system nine seven four 974 five one two nine seven four two thousand. Any of them can call and ask for human resources, and they'll get you in touch. And you can ask for me specifically, and they'll transfer you right on over to our office where we can answer your questions.
1: That's amazing. Thank you so much again uh, for taking your time and talking to me today. And um, do you uh, that's. That's basically it. Do you have any questions or anything else you would like to add before we we stop the uh, interview?
2: Not at all. Just thank you so much for this opportunity. And I wish all of your students the best of luck as they transition to do wonderful work. Thank you for
0: listening to this edition of EdTech Hour. I'm Dr. Kelly Torres, the Department Chair of the Educational Psychology and Technology Program of the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. This podcast was completed through the support of our dedicated faculty, staff, and students. To learn more about the Educational Psychology Technology Program, or if you're interested in being on the EdTech Hour podcast, please reach out to me at kTORS at the